This is Here There Be Dragons. I'm your host, Jess Myers. Last episode, we talked about the way Parisians play with social codes through clothes or attitudes to signal how they'd like to be treated in public space. This episode will focus not just on the identities of people, but of places. Okay, so I'm going to lay some cards on the table. I'm a grad student in city planning, and my background is in architecture. I've studied architecture in the U.S. and in Paris, and you could say that I think about space a lot. You may have noticed I'm a little space-obsessed. These next two episodes are going to be even more space-focused. This episode will be talking about the way that the city is divided through years of history, politics, and design. Just like for New Yorkers, the divide between uptown and downtown Manhattan, or north and south of the river for London, cities have significant physical and psychic borders that create local bias and affinities. Paris is no different. If you know the city through visits or movies or books, you may know that the River Seine flows through the city, dividing it into the left bank to the south and the right bank to the north. You may also know the socioeconomic divide that separates the east and the west, not physically, but politically. Or perhaps you know the deepest cut that separates Paris proper, or Paris-Entremeros, from its banlieue, the highway known as the Peripherique. These divisions create identities, not just for the neighborhoods, but for the people who live there. For the residents that I spoke to, these borders can be hard to dismiss and even more difficult to cross. The divide between the east and the west of Paris began many centuries ago, with the aristocracy pulling more to the west, closer to the enormous palaces of Versailles and the Louvre, while the working class spread towards the east and towards industry. Today, the West is still wealthier, but it's also more residential, while the East has many more bars, more shops, and more young people. For Anthony and Nava, the West is cold, while the East is buzzing with life. Okay, alors, uh, je m'appelle Anthony Italien. Uh, J'ai 26 ans. Uh, je travaille chez, uh, chez Amazon comme uh, in-stock manager. Et, uh, et j'ai vécu et grandi à uh, Vitry-sur-Seine, en région parisienne. I feel more at ease in the East. There's more to do, it's much more dynamic. I like it more than the beautiful districts where everything costs an arm and a leg. I mostly bike or walk around the city, and I recently went on the belt surrounding Paris and all the western side in the 16th. That wasn't very pleasant. I told myself I wouldn't go back there. It's very cold. The streets are empty, and I don't like emptiness. I prefer busy streets with a lot of people. In the 8th as well. I like the architecture, but I'm not at all attracted to the atmosphere. Alison told me about the political divide of the East and West. The Western part of Paris has historically supported more conservative views, while the East has been much more progressive. People tend to be more left-wing in the East and right-wing in the in the right. I mean, it was almost like a straight split of like red and blue on the map. I actually do have a regular journey that I do to the 16th. In the popular imagination, this is a place where all the far right voters in Paris live, but they hypocritically don't admit to it. And there's meant to be actually a brasserie there where, where the Le Penistes meet, but I don't know whether that's true. For most people I spoke with, the East-West divide was pretty stark. 
There are bourgeois on one side and prolo, or working class, on the other. But for Shukwan, a graffiti artist who moved to Paris from the French Caribbean department Guadeloupe when he was a teenager in the 80s, the east-west border was crucial to cross. Dans cette découverte, dans cette... Uh during that discovery of urban and social emancipation, I discovered graffiti. I would go out at night to paint, to tag metros, to vandalize stations, and to develop my art. I was lucky. I lived on Line 2. It was strategic because it crosses Paris from east to west, it goes through all the most dynamic areas, multi-ethnic, cosmopolitan, melting pot. That line is a reference. That's where the most famous vacant lot in Paris, if not in Europe and maybe in the world, was the wasteland of Stalingrad La Chapelle. One day, my cousin started counting, and on line two, there were more than 30 trains passing by that had been tagged or vandalized with my name. I was the king of that metro line. Just as the east-west border divides socioeconomic status, the left bank and the right bank work similarly. The River Seine separates two different histories, one ancient, the other modern. All of Paris used to be confined to the islands that float in the River Seine, the Ile de Saint-Louis and the Ile de la Cité. The left bank of the river was one of the first parts of expanded Paris. It has the last remains of Roman architecture from when France, or then Gaul, was part of the empire. The left bank is where the universities started, where poets and satirists first died penniless in dark rooms with bad wallpaper. But the right bank is where modernity unfolded on the city and stayed. Aristocrats became businessmen, farms became factories, and shops became department stores. The famous boutique, Ponton, and the Galerie Lafayette, the worlds of Colette and Emile Zola, are the center of the right bank. But the interesting thing about all of Paris's borders is that they intersect like a Venn diagram. The left and right bank crossed east and west, yielding neighborhoods of the modern working class and the ancient conservatives. These lines intersect, cut into quarters by politics and the river. When I go from here to there, I cross the Seine. The river is really a separation, but it's a separation that doesn't separate. I think it's a particular event in the continuity that is Paris. The differentiation between rive gauche, rive droite for me is, is something that only native Parisians are looking at. Although I do notice, I very much take notice when I cross a bridge because, I mean, quite frankly, it's beautiful and you're, it's a little bit like when you cross a, an avenue in New York City. It's like you're, you look at this great canyon and uh, so it does feel like a, thresh, a threshold to, some t to a certain degree, but uh, to me, that was never linked to two distinct identities. In schematic terms, I'm more comfortable on the left bank because that's where I grew up and still live. But in the eyes of my friends, I'm really a has-been because everybody's on the right bank in République around Belleville. I'm aware that it makes me kind of a stick in the mud. The depth of history and culture that run along the dividing lines of any city carry enormous weight. When she moved from London to Paris, Alison brought with her the strong memories of its river divide. 
it made her determined to call north of the river, the right bank, her home. I lived for 12 years in London before, and the north or south of the river thing there is really, really strong. So maybe that was something that was already in my mind when I came here, but I found myself really identifying strongly as, as a north Parisian. And I think there was a kind of a, I probably had a kind of a sort of snobbishness about living on the right bank in terms of the fact that I felt that I was being a pioneer because the left bank, it never changes, you know, and it's comfortable and um, rather smug. So um, I definitely found living in the 20th, it was actually around Jordan, which has become rather sought-after area, but at the time it was still very popular, um, very kind of working class, but very, very friendly and villagey, and lots of music going on, lots of artistic activities. So I was a kind of, I was really proud to say that I chose to live there when uh, some of the French friends I met, first of all, who all lived in the Latin Quarter because they'd been to university there, they were all going, don't go to the 20th, it's really dangerous, what are you thinking of, you know? Areas like the 7th are massively more policed than the areas where there is actually more crime. Because um, I actually called the police on a couple of occasions here and um, they told me, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but there are very, very few police actually available to deal with all the things that were happening in this area. Um, you know, I mean, I'm talking about petty crimes like stealing your telephone or stealing your bag. There's an enormous amount of theft. And yet all around the seventh where the ministers live, you'll see police all the time. So it does feel rather as if the police are kind of mobilized to protect the rich in this city. After a life spent on the right bank and in the north of Paris, Steffi found it was tough to adjust to college life on the left bank. It made her realize how deeply influenced she was by the stereotypes of the neighborhood. When I went to Sorbonne in the 5th, I didn't feel like I belonged. Now it's changing because the person I'm sharing my life with comes from the left bank, while I spent my entire life on the right bank. Well... Whenever I go to Paris, I'd go to the right bank, and everywhere I go on the left bank, I never felt comfortable. Probably because there are less popular areas on the left bank, and because I grew up in a popular area, so I never felt like I could feel comfortable on the left bank. Now, I've discovered some little spots on the left bank that are really nice, but it's a limit that exists. Because there's the sin, and clearly it's not just a river. I really do feel like there's a major difference between the right and the left bank. At least from the people I met when I was younger and from the way I used to see things, I always felt like they were two different worlds. On the one hand, you've got kind of lefty bourgeois intellectuals who still pretend like they're in 68 and who spend their lives at university because they can afford it. They don't need to work. They can stay in university for 15 years. They live with their parents and never have a problem in life. That was what I imagined, and so to me, the right bank was more working class, or at least people who had to roll up their sleeves and work. I've grown up since then, and of course, I've realized it's not that simple. For many Parisians, the widest border, wider even than the river, is the peripherique, 
the ring road that loops around Paris, making a deep cut between Paris and the banlieue. As you'll hear from residents, this border is more than a physical separation. It's an emotional one, too. In many ways, the peripherique, which was meant to make the city more accessible by car, ended up cutting people off in the banlieue from basic services and opening them up to stigma. But the banlieues and Paris have had a particular relationship for centuries. But since many factories and barracks are on the edge of Paris, the banlieue has many historically working-class towns. These towns have famous histories of communism and labor organizing, and the efforts of these workers ended up forging the foundation for many of France's labor protection laws. At the same time, the banlieue is quite diverse, with towns that are also historically wealthy and aristocratic. Like Neuss-sur-Seine, which at one point had the same GDP as the entire country of Greece. Or the banlieue Versailles, the site of Louis XIV's notoriously opulent chateau. However, even with this incredible variance, stereotypes about the banlieue are common amongst Parisians and the media, who often use the word banlieue as a euphemism for poverty and crime. Even though there are neighborhoods in Paris that have similar crime rates as towns in the banlieue, crime reporting about a banlieue can end up defining an entire town. The way that Parisians say Paris proper to distinguish the city from the banlieue is Paris entre nous which translates to Paris inside the walls. This refers to the old fortress walls that protected the city from invasion centuries ago. But the walls have since been replaced with a road, and in some ways, that road is even more impassable. Paris was formerly surrounded by fortifications to defend against invasions. They were called les fortifs, and then at some point the fortifications were destroyed. But for decades, these destroyed fortifications gave way to what was called the zone. And this zone was impoverished places, where there were faulty barracks, a whole marginal population of workers without money, people who came from the provinces, immigrants from various countries, and also thieves, prostitutes. It was often a dangerous neighborhood, but quaint. The cinema and literature were really taken with it. And one day, the peripherique was built around Paris. It doubled the Marchaux Boulevards, and it was on the site of the zone. And so there was a very clear separation between the 20 arrondissements of Paris and the banlieue. Like the left bank, right bank divide, the stereotypes of both sides of the peripherique are very strong. As a young student moving to Paris from the Breton region, Leopold remembers being curious to find out if the rumors were true. It's true that there is an entire mythology in, in Paris about the banlieue as being those spaces where you might be at risk as a, as a young little white bourgeois uh, kid. And I think, I think coming from a small town, it it probably was part of my imaginary, but also that was, that, that was something that I, I wanted to... Uh, if not challenge, at least verify, so to speak. 
when uh, when you know Fox News did their no go zones uh, places, I think Parisians were very very prompt to either make fun of of it or to be very angry at it. But I I, I think the the French media have been doing this very same thing about the banlieue for years, and in that case, Parisians are not quite as uh, prompt to debunk this sort of mythology. Some of you might remember the news report that Leopold is talking about, the one that called out areas in Europe that were supposedly so dangerous and so populated by Muslim extremists that the police wouldn't even dare go there. Chief Washington correspondent James Rosen tells us tonight the no-go zones are providing extremists with easy access to new recruits. Leopold pointed out how, although many disagreed with the report, Few people questioned how, in many ways, French media also crafts similar narratives. One thing these stereotypes fail to capture is the permeability of these boundaries. Both Nava and Francoise point out that many Parisians live lives that exist on both sides of the périphérique. Le périphérique, c'est, c'est, c'est vraiment un truc euh, vi- vivant. The périphérique is like a living thing. This barrier is here. We work with it, around, beyond it. It's not impassable. And if it's something you can pass, then you have to respect what goes on on each side. Il faut respecter ce qui se passe des deux côtés. Bah, le périphérique fait partie de toute une série de grands chantiers qui ont été prévus sous De Gaulle. The Peripherique was part of a whole series of large projects that were planned under de Gaulle and Pompidou. They destroyed an entire section of the neighborhood next to the one where I lived. Throughout my childhood, we were afraid because our house wasn't far from the area under eminent domain. I remember one evening when my father came to dinner and said, if we are under eminent domain, what do we do? Because obviously it would mean losing our house, having it bought by the government at a very low price. We would have to move. That was a moment of temporary crisis, but we didn't end up under eminent domain. When I go to see my mother in Châtillon, crossing the périphérique feels like passing from one universe to another. I've done it so many times that I think of it as continuity rather than separation, even though I'm aware of crossing a border. So I lived in a Parisian area, in Levallois. Back in the day, it was called Paris because the area hadn't been dissected in departments with numbers, the 9-2, the 9-3. Levallois is really at the junction with the 70th arrondissement, so we used to say we lived in Paris. The peripheric didn't exist back then. I'm 60, I was born in 55, and the peripheric was built in 66 to 68. Now there's Paris and there's the banlieue. You know what they say, on the other side of the perif. There are people who are horribly Parisian, who don't dare to go to the banlieue, who are afraid. Being afraid of the banlieue is a real thing. There really are two societies. Paris is surrounded by a highway, and that's the périphérique. On the other side of the périph', there are the more popular areas. So Le Valois has become the periphery of Paris because it's on the other side of the périph'. As Samia and Francoise just said, the périphérique puts very hard, clear edges on what's Paris and what's not. For many young people from the banlieue, there's a pressure to leave and begin life in Paris. For Anthony, who grew up in Vitry-sur-Seine, a southern banlieue, this was always the dream. 
Alors, euh, bah, du coup, la première frontière dont je vais parler, c'est celle qui me touche le plus. Comme tu disais, le périphérique. The first border I'm going to talk about is the one that affects me the most. It's actually the périphérique. That's the strongest border in the Parisian region. It's a border that's just real. I feel it every day. When you're in Paris proper, there are little shops, more people, there's life. And when you leave, there are fewer people, fewer shops, less life in general. In the cities that are right next to Paris, for example, Kremlin Bisset, my home, Montreux, there's still a neighborhood life that's very strong. But the more we move away, the less it exists. Since I was 15, I knew I wanted to live in Paris. That was the horizon, not staying in the banlieue. Hervé grew up in the northern banlieue, Aubervilliers. For him, living in the banlieue was just a part of life. He never fully understood what Parisians felt about his banlieue until he started working in Paris and living there with his girlfriend Sylvia, a Brazilian woman who moved to Paris from Miami. When I started to really work and live in Paris and have more and more friends in Paris, some of whom were Parisian, it made me feel this difference. The city where I was born, Aubervilliers, is just on the border of the 19th. I understood that it wasn't Paris, it's the Parisian region. But if I go to the rest of France, they'll tell me, you're from Paris. But on the other hand, Parisians make sure that I understand Aubervilliers isn't Paris, and that's how you understand there's a difference. It's pretty funny. People will say, watch out in the Paris banlieue. It's more dangerous, there's more theft, more trafficking, more run-down neighborhoods. So lots of stereotypes. Obviously, it's not true. There are equally run-down neighborhoods in Paris. It's these people you hear on TV, they're afraid of everything, of the banlieue. But they don't know their own city. They have a negative opinion because they have the same opinion as people that live in the rest of France. The banlieue is scary, there's a beating every two minutes. They're completely disconnected from their own reality. I know 100% that I'm one of those people who says, the banlieue isn't Paris. This is from my snobby side. I told Hervé, I'll never live in Aubervilliers. I'm too snobby to live in Aubervilliers. It's dirty, it's dangerous at night. You would always insist on picking me up at the metro stop when I came alone. You might not be afraid for you, but you were afraid for me. The stigma of violence and crime that exists in the banlieue can sometimes be true. Although Hervé has always been comfortable in the banlieue, he has had experiences of violence there. I was coming back after having spent the evening at a friend's house. She lives in Ile-Saint-Denis. It's in the 9-3 in the Parisian region. It must have been about 2 in the morning or something. I had an old car back then and it stalled and it broke down at a streetlight. That's when four people showed up with guns and knives and they made me get out of the car. They took me hostage in the back of the car. They made me go from one ATM to another until my car got blocked. Then they took me around the periphery several times, I suppose because I had my head between my knees. They abandoned me in a forest tied to a tree, threatening they'd say they'd come back and finish the job. You know what finish the job means. Then I escaped. For Dani, it wasn't just her northern banlieue that could be violent. It was also the act of crossing borders that existed between neighborhoods. She was a boy from Epinay-sur-Seine, and she had to deal with the stigma when encountering boys from Porte de Clignancourt, a northern neighborhood in Paris. I think the first time I went outside my neighborhood, outside of my comfort zone, where I knew everyone, was when we went to go to a flea market at Porte de Clignancourt. It was an outing with all my friends. 
This was the first time I went outside my neighborhood, and I was immediately confronted with a gang fight, a clash between neighborhoods. I grew up in Epinay-sur-Seine, and Port de Klingencourt is another atmosphere. Some people in my neighborhood had a history with other members of the neighborhood around Klingencourt. That influenced our relationship with all these guys from these neighborhoods. I remember when we fought. I wasn't really strong. We got hurt. That's when I realized that even though I wasn't attached to all the boys in my neighborhood, I had the label of a guy from another bandlou, and suddenly I became a threat when we went to another neighborhood. I had a label, and that's it. On demandait tout de suite. J'avais une étiquette en fait. Je portais une étiquette. Voilà. The peripherique becomes this violent space, not just because of experiences like Hervé's and Danny's, but also because it's physically impossible to cross on foot. It's made up of two concentric rings, which can range between two and five lanes of traffic. The idea behind it was that it would create accessibility for drivers. But because transit in Paris is so good, with lots of subways and lots of buses, few Parisians actually own cars, making them a lot less likely to go out into the banlieue. Mehdi is a councilman for his northern banlieue, La Courneuve, where he grew up. In our interview, he mentioned that the problem with the peripherique was that it focuses on Paris, not the banlieue. Meaning, if your banlieue is close to Paris, it's likely that there won't be many local activities like theaters and cafes, because the assumption is that you'll just go to Paris for them. However, the farther the banlieue is from Paris proper, the farther it is from cultural activities and other amenities that really bring a city to life. In addition, the banlieues are poorly connected to each other, for many residents that I spoke to, the periphery actually made accessibility worse. Le problème c'est que parce qu'il y a Paris qui est à côté, il y a moins de choses qui sont ici. But the problem is that because Paris is nearby, there aren't as many things here, like cultural or economic activities. The library burned down. There's no longer a building manager making sure it's livable. Building managers aren't only there to make things safe. He was creating a space to live well because he knew everybody. Now there's nobody left making the connection between people. There's no longer a connection between public officials and the population. Now it's a desert. The whole neighborhood is less accessible for kids. It's not as easy for the kids to do stuff as it was before. Everything is damaged. There's a lot of alcohol everywhere. Before there wasn't any of this. Urbanistically, there's no life. There are no streets. There's a weird mall. In a cité, there are alleyways. There's a no-man's land that you can't do anything with, that you can't use, where there's no way to create connections. The first solution would be to have municipal facilities. That's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to create some kind of energy, some kind of presence. In Paris, the transit you live near sets the bar for your access to the city. For example, often the gentrification of a neighborhood hinges both on its connection to finance and the train. When the subway and the trains are all closed by 1 a.m., living between the banlieue and Paris can be a real challenge. The banlieues themselves are also poorly connected to each other, meaning that a trip to the town next door can take up to an hour if you don't have a car. In response to these challenges, the city of Paris is investing in an enormous expansion of its transit infrastructure. For Anne, who works between multiple banlieues, this expansion is a welcome change. I travel a lot by motorcycle because today in the Paris banlieue, it's easy to go from any point to Paris, more or less, but it's extremely difficult to go from one banlieue to another. 
and I have to go from one banlieue to another for my work. So the motorcycle is a practical choice to go quickly from one banlieue to another or to go to the architecture school. I discovered that it was absolute freedom. I'm not constrained to bus, RER, or subway schedules. The big difference is that my children, when they want to leave the house to hang out with friends, they have access to the metro. It's very simple. When they want to go to university, everything is accessible to them. When children live in Clichy, or when young women or young men have to go to work, access to employment is very complicated. It takes more than 50 minutes to reach the center of Paris. Access to higher education is becoming very difficult due to the transit issue. There's already a big gap. Paris is a small city, and on top of that, transportation stops from east to west, from north to south. The metro stopped at the ring road. The metro didn't go into the nearby banlieues. I don't know if you can imagine, but it's like if the subway was only made for Manhattan and didn't go into Brooklyn or Queens. When I was very young, it was a little harder to go to Paris. I would take the bus to the metro, and then it expanded. The metro is right next door. For people who have a car, going from Banlieue to Banlieue isn't difficult. Since the ring road revolves around Paris, at any given moment, you could go to Clichy or Malakoff or Pantin. You take the right on ramp and you're there. The problem is public transportation. But now they've built the tram. There's a small one that goes around the periphery. Then they'll build a big one that makes another circuit, and another that makes a huge circuit. The work isn't finished, but it's going to be good to get from Banlieue to Banlieue. It's progressed a lot. Before it was such a struggle. So sometimes it took an hour or two to get to a Banlieue right next door. Part of the municipality's policy has been to prevent cars from entering Paris. They've closed down a lot of lanes and made them for pedestrians only. Right now there's a debate about, well, it's not even a debate anymore, it's a decision now to close down the road along the River Seine. They'll close down this summer and won't reopen. And obviously it's very important for Parisians because the majority of them don't own cars anymore. But it's a problem for those who live in the banlieue. People from the banlieue use their cars to get to and out of the city, and they might feel excluded from the city center. These expansions of infrastructure that Jean-Claude and Eric just talked about are called Grand Paris. Grand Paris is the decades-old idea that Paris is more than just Paris Entremuros, and that the city will soon come to fully include the banlieue. But Jean-Claude sees how the old idea of Paris isn't so easy to shake. The idea of Grand Paris, which is starting to work within institutions, but in people's minds it's not there yet. There's still a very strong dividing line between the city of Paris and what goes on on the other side of the périphérique. Of course, a lot of people cross that line every day for work, for entertainment, to shop. We spend all our time going back and forth over this dividing line, so in the end, we all live in Grand Paris. But there's still, nevertheless, the desire to preserve Paris and its villages. Which are the borders that divide? And which are the borders that define? Making clear where certain identities reside 
protecting them by containing them. The city of Paris does have a plan to make the peripherique more of a porous border. This is the idea of Grand Paris to break down the divide between Paris and its surrounding banlieues, making the region a little bit more like one big city. But some think that these plans will increase more malicious forms of gentrification and will push low-income residents even further out, creating a new peripherique elsewhere. But others believe that it could open up opportunities for people living in the banlieue to have greater access to the city and push Parisians to finally explore the banlieue. However you look at it, the Grand Paris plan is another in a historic series of plans for the city that hope to create a kind of utopia which we'll explore even further in the next episode. Thanks for listening. This has been Here There Be Dragons. I'm your host, Jess Myers. Many thanks to my sponsors at MIT Council for the Arts, to Adelie Pajman-Ponte for producing the show, and to Coralie Jacobs for all the original music. Our first newsletter has just dropped, and if you're sad that you missed it, sign up on our website at htbdpodcast.com. That's htbdpodcast.com, all one word. Um, And right at the bottom of the page, you can subscribe. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Reviews really help us out. And also, we'd like to include your voices on the very last episode, If you have a recorder on your phone, send us a little recorded message so that we can include that in the last episode, en français or in English, whatever you're more comfortable with. Send those to us at htbdpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, and join us next time for more stories of fear, identity, and urban life.